0: Been in our sermon series this summer entitled Forgive, coming from uh, Timothy Keller's book of the same name. Encourage you to get that book if you haven't already. Uh, You don't need to get it, you can just come and worship because we're going through the themes of the book. Uh, Last week, we heard about Western civilization's history with the concept of forgiveness that it wasn't going back to the beginning, that uh, it wasn't until Jesus came along. That forgiveness became a value, something that's important and part of our daily lives. Jesus is the author and the teacher of what forgiveness looks like, what it should be, what it is. Um, but how do we know that that forgiveness is important? That it's it's something uh, uh, worth worth living into and and experiencing how do we know that that this is actually what jesus taught well if you want to know about jesus get to know your bible if you want to know what god is like get to know your bible the bible is the word of god it's where god wants to be known it's where god reveals himself it's where he he gives us revelation about who he is Uh, And not just in the New Testament where we hear about Jesus, but all through the Old Testament as well. well. So today we're going to talk about the book of forgiveness. And I want to give you just a little idea of how important the book is, how it can um, reconcile relationships, how it can affect lives. I brought a little clip with me. Please turn this up. This is how I want you to to get a feel and understand about this special book that we call the Bible. I brought you a special present. What is it? Open it up. A book? That's right. When I was your age, television was called books. And this is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. Is that any sports in it? Are you kidding? Fencing, fighting, torture? Revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. doesn't sound too bad. Now, if you heard all those categories or you're wondering what he'd say, I encourage you to go and watch this movie. This comes from The Princess Bride. But all those categories, if he says, what's, what's in this book? And he names all these things. All of those things are in the Bible. Um, and the difference between this book and the Bible is that the Bible is true. All those things happened uh, within, our, within our world, within history. Um, how important is forgiveness in the Bible? Now, we may look at Jesus and say, okay, Jesus taught a lot about love and about mercy, and uh, he, he taught the importance of forgiveness. But what about the Old Testament? I mean, the, the Bible isn't just the New Testament. In fact, if you were to look at a Bible, the vast, vast, vast majority of it doesn't mention a word about Jesus. um, Because it's it's the Old Testament alongside the New Testament. If you were to look just for a percentage of how much of your Bible is the Old Testament, and you look just at the books of the Bible, by percentage, 59% of the books in the Bible are in the Old Testament. That's closer to two-thirds of your Bible. But if you were to look at pages, Like, for example, if you open up your Bible, it would open in the Old Testament in part of the wisdom section called the Psalms. Just by page, your Bible, with its black leather and gold uh, uh, lettering, the the black black casing and and gold lettering that sits on your shelf that looks so nice, 75% of it, three-quarters of it, is the Old Testament. And maybe you think, well, Jesus was all about love and forgiveness and reconciliation, but what about God in the Old Testament? He seemed rather ornery. Uh, He was like, wasn't he a God of wrath in the Old Testament? Isn't that what we get from God? God's God's justice and God's punishment of the wicked? Well, today we're going to talk about forgiveness throughout the entire narrative of the Bible. Okay? And there are four sections in the Old Testament that we're going to look at. Every every Bible that you have is broken up into these four sections, these four categories. The first category is known as the Pentateuch. These are the first five books of the Bible. They're also called the books of Moses. They're attributed to Moses. That's Genesis through Deuteronomy. The next section is the history section. Um, and this is the story of the relationship between God and his people on earth, the kingdom of Israel, and everything that happens there. The third section is called the wisdom section, and here you have writings that aren't history, but are, are more um, uh, uh, just kind of uh, thoughtful writings about life. You have the Psalms, which if you want to get into the nitty-gritty of the heart of the matter— what we feel, what we experience in this life, it is expressed in the Psalms. But alongside the Psalms, you have the writings of Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon, as well as the book of Job, which, which really is a commentary on the reality of suffering in this world and why suffering happens to good people. So that's the wisdom section. And then the final section is called The section uh, is called the prophets, and there's two parts of that, the major and the minor prophets. And the prophets are those who speak on behalf of God into the world. So, let's get into this. Forgiveness in the books of Moses and history. I'm going to give you a couple of examples, I think about seven or eight examples. You're encouraged to go look at these yourself. But right away at the beginning, we discover that God, uh, even before Jesus is revealed— that God in his hiddenness is loving and merciful and forgiving. Genesis 2, 17-19, right after Adam and Eve eat the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that God said, if you eat of this fruit, you will certainly die, they don't die. God shows mercy to them. Now, they will eventually perish, just like all of us who are a part of uh, that That um, bond that comes from our first parents, Adam and Eve, we we all will perish at some point. But even at the beginning, God begins working toward reconciliation with his rebellious creation. Uh, And what do Adam and Eve reveal themselves to be? Well, they reveal themselves to be sinners bound to sin who cannot save themselves. And God immediately begins to work to bring healing and restoration uh, to Adam and Eve. Because God is merciful unto creation. Number two, we have Genesis 4. Here, God marks Cain to save him from being killed. Cain and Abel is the story, and Cain kills his brother Abel, murders him out of jealousy, really. And yet, um, Cain, when he's judged by God, thinks that this judgment is too great being sent into exile because he will certainly be murdered by the first people who see him, because that would be just, Justice demands an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What you give, you should certainly get. But God shows mercy and saves Cain by marking him so that no one would kill him. Again, we continue in Genesis, Genesis chapter 6. We hear about uh, Noah and the ark. This is the story of the great flood. And what we learn there is that God, it says that God is grieved by the sins of humanity. How people harm one another and their disrespect and harm harms God as well. That God actually suffers for the sins of the world. Now, God has two um, uh, uh, choices at this point because of the sins of the world. He can destroy it outright or he can find a way to save humanity. And God's justice and mercy are interplayed in the flood where uh, the sins of the world are wiped out. And yet God uses the ark to save life human life and animal life, life uh, basically above the sea. God God works salvation through the ark, showing his mercy, and then restores and tries to set forward a right relationship between God and uh, and humanity and nature. Genesis 15, we hear about a man named Abraham. Now, Abraham doesn't do good deeds that would earn him God's favor. Rather, it says, Uh, God uh, calls Abraham righteous because of his faith. See, if you read the rest of the story of Abram, Abram and Sarai, Abram's not perfect by any means. He does a lot of sinful things. He does a lot of bad things. He breaks the Ten Commandments even before they're the Ten Commandments, and yet God calls him righteous based on his faith in God. There's something about forgiveness and faith that are intertwined. And finally, we get to the, the last chapter of Genesis, and this is the probably the longest history narrative uh, in in Scripture is the book of Genesis. We hear about Joseph. Joseph and his brothers, the sons of Israel, and how they send him into they sell him into slavery and they tell their father that he's dead. They do all kinds of horrible things to Joseph. After Israel passes away, Joseph's brothers come to him and say, Hey, Uh, Our father wants you to forgive us even though we did evil to them. And what happens is Joseph chooses reconciliation and love through forgiveness of his brothers and takes care of their families rather than the justified vengeance that he could have uh, carried out upon them because he was in a position of authority over them based on the circumstances that brought them into his presence. And he even says himself... Uh, God used what you planned for evil for good for many, many people. And so he shows forgiveness and reconciliation to his brothers. Now that's just in the book of Genesis alone. We see example after example of example of forgiveness. But here is the heart of the books of Moses. It's the establishment of the covenant where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people if you keep my commands. That is the proper relationship between God and humanity. God is God and I am not. In Exodus 32 and Numbers 14, Moses is leading God's chosen people in the wilderness, leading them to the promised land, and over and over again, Moses intercedes. He goes and he prays for and receives forgiveness for the rebelliousness of the people. They keep turning away from God. It's even when when the covenant is established and Moses comes down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, the people immediately begin to break the covenant, And begin worshiping uh, idols, golden calves. And yet, Moses prays to God. God hears uh, hears their prayers and he shows mercy and forgiveness to the people in order to restore that covenant relationship. I will be their God and they will be my people. Number seven, we hear about the establishment of worship in Leviticus and Numbers called tabernacle worship or tent worship. As they were traveling through the wilderness, God establishes basically a tent revival for the people to discover forgiveness with God. Tabernacle worship is established using animal sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. And here we learn that sin has a cost, that there is a cost when sin is carried out. That's what animal sacrifice means. It wasn't to get God to do what they wanted. It was basically a price, a cost to them financially, um, because livestock was money, because of the sin that they had carried out against their neighbors and against God in order to be reconciled to the community and to God. And finally, during the time of the kingdom, we have the establishment of Solomon's temple. And here in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, we hear about temple worship. That no longer is worship happening on the move in a tent, but worship now happens in a located place called the temple, which is God's um, basically um, place on earth where God says, here is where you can come and meet me and be reconciled to me. So temple worship is about understanding and receiving God's forgiveness. Now all of this is really about um, um, finding ways to live in the presence of a holy just, uh, mighty God. How do we, who are not holy, who are not mighty, who are sinful, uh, live in relationship with this powerful God? So Old Testament worship is really about how the people can come and receive forgiveness. And that is what worship is about today as well. When we come to worship, we're not worshiping in a tent or a temple Uh, This is a house of prayer, but we come to gather, that's what it means to be the church, the assembly gathers around Jesus where he promises to be, where God promises to be, in his word proclaimed and in his sacraments administered for what? For the forgiveness of your sin. So if you didn't come to receive forgiveness today, you ain't worshiping. But if that's why you are here, if that's what you've come to receive, you brought nothing but a repentant heart, you are in worship. And that example begins in the Old Testament, not the New. So that's the first five books of the Bible. But let's move on to the Psalms. The Psalms is really the heart of the wisdom writings. And here Psalm 130 is a case study of how we can understand forgiveness from the Old Testament. Forgiveness primarily is between people and God, how to receive God's forgiveness We learn more about how to give forgiveness in the New Testament, but the Old Testament really is about how we receive forgiveness. Psalm 130 is one of the penitential psalms, and it is um, where you get at the heart of the matter, of what sin does to us inside and how we express that when struggles come in this life. That's what you get from the psalms. Psalms deal with every issue you can imagine and the emotions that go with that. If you've been really wrong, there are, there are imprecatory psalms that talk about, God, you go get them because I can't take care of it myself. But Psalm 130 is one that's often used for funerals. Because in it, we hear the promises that God gives that creates faith in a Savior as well as calling a thing what it is. That I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, the entire world is under the, um, the ailment of sin or rebellion against God. So let's go through it. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. This word depths really speaks about the deep of the ocean. Has anyone here ever been on a boat or a ship out to sea? Okay? Did you ever think when you were out on that boat, if if, if the tide got a little, if the the waves started smashing it around a little bit, did you ever have this thought, I wonder what will happen if it sinks? It's kind of a terrifying thought if you let it dwell in your head too, too long because uh, you're pretty much out of luck if you're out in the middle of the ocean and a boat sinks, you're going down into the depths. And that's what this is talking about. And especially in the Old Testament, the depths are also um, so, um, connected with the land of the dead or Sheol. Uh, have you ever heard of Davy Jones' locker? That basically is a, is a euphemism for hell okay, or, or the dead place. All right? Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. This is, this is the crying of a repentant heart. Uh, o Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? This is not a misspelling. This is how you spell it in English, because that first word, O Lord, is not the word Lord, that's this one over here, it's Adonai, this is the name of God that was always written as Lord in the Hebrew because the name of God is too holy. It's the second commandment. You should not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. So the way you would translate this is, if you O Yahweh, God's revealed name, I am that I am, should mark iniquities, O Lord, or Adonai, who could stand? So the first thing that we learn in the Psalms is the problem of forgiveness the problem with forgiveness is that as this verse says it leaves a mark now if you've ever been sinned against you know this because you feel it and you're looking for some type of either restitution or vengeance because it's it's hurt it's left a mark i have a good example of sin leaving a mark i have a scar on my hand that comes from my sin now this is a story about my brother, and he told me uh, just the other day that he watches online from Washington State every week, and I told a story about our mom, and he just chuckled to bits. So hopefully this will make him laugh a bit as well and not be angry at me. But when we were kids, we were staying at a hotel, I think it was in Grand Forks, and I was fourth grade, third grade, I can't remember, but we were wrestling in the pool, And he's bigger than me by a couple years, and frankly, he won uh, and was able to dunk me over and over again. And we were having fun, and then it just went too far for me at one point, and I got angry, and I came out of the water, and I splashed him in the face with water with my one hand, and I'm left-handed, by the way. I hit him as hard as I could with my other hand. But here's the thing. My brother has braces. Right? Okay, don't don't go there before me. So I hit him, and he's bigger than me, and talk about a scary situation, he turns at me and he smiles. And I look at my hand, because there was some blood in his mouth, and there was blood all over my hand. And I went, ah, and screamed, and took off, and both of us didn't want to tell mom the truth, (laughs) because one sin leads to another, right? You shall not harm your brother, you shall not murder. It goes on to, you shall uh, uh, do not bear false witness to honor your your father and your mother. Neither my brother wanted to get in trouble for dunking me in the water, and I didn't want to get in trouble for punching him, but we had to go to the emergency room. And so we went to the emergency room and got stitches. And you know what we told our mom? Nothing. (laughs) Why was my hand bleeding? Not because we were roughhousing and it went too far and I did something bad there was uh, some sharp edge by the pool that I somehow scratched my knuckle on and that's what had caused me to get a bunch of stitches. Now the thing about it is, sin leaves a mark. I have a permanent mark. We didn't tell my mom until we were in our 30s. (laughs) Because hopefully, the statute of limitations had passed on it by that point. The problem of forgiveness... It leaves a mark. That's the problem. Okay? But we go on. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The next issue with forgiveness that we learn is that there's a universal need for forgiveness. What makes us alike is not that we're all made in the image of God, not that we're all human. What really makes us all alike, regardless of any other circumstances, how much money you make, uh, what your ethnicity is, whether you're a man, a woman, grown up, a child, what makes us all the same is that we are all sinners. All of us. All of us have these marks on us. And all of us are in need of a Savior. Before God, none of us is righteous. Not a single one. So there's a universal need for forgiveness because if God marks our iniquities and holds them against us, who can stand? The answer? Nobody. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Here's the third thing to learn. It's the fact that God is forgiveness. This is not an opinion. It doesn't say you may be, uh, uh, you may have forgiveness. It says, but with you there is forgiveness. God is merciful. God is just and God hates evil. He hates sin, but God is merciful to sinners, How do those two go together? How do you reconcile them? In the Old Testament, they don't know. They just know that both are true. And here the Psalter is crying out in hope that even though God is just, God is also merciful. And how does God give this mercy? It's because God forgives sinners. Are you a sinner? The only people that admit that they are sinners are those needing a Savior. Everyone is a sinner, but only sinners admit that they are sinners. If you don't think that you're a sinner, you'll never admit it, but you're still a sinner. Christians are the only ones that admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be, this is weird, if God forgives, why should God be feared? Well, that's because fear does not mean what you think it means. Um, I could use another clip from The Princess Bride. It doesn't mean what you think it means. Fear does not mean, like, terrified in a a way of of recoiling from something, the way we use fear today. Like, I'm afraid of snakes. When I see a snake, I'll jump out of the way. And I'm afraid of heights. I I don't do heights. Um, But that's not what this word means here. I'll give you a better way of understanding the word fear because it brings about an inward result of forgiveness. I love my father. I respect my father. My father is an old man. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. I could whoop him anytime I wanted to. I have two black belts in martial arts. (laughs) But I fear my father. If he raises his voice with me, I'm going to recoil. Because he's my father and I fear him. What this means in relationship to God is more awe and respect. It's basically confessing and recognizing that God is God and you are not. So all the things that we think are right in the world, all the things that we want, is really most often self-celebration and seeking justification from the world around us rather than living the way God blesses us into and, and, and guides us into. So fear of the Lord is really an inward result that forgiveness does. The more you realize that a sinner like you is forgiven on account of Jesus Christ, the more you fear God. In other words, you trust God to be God, that God is in charge of your destiny, not you. That God has called you into being a, um, a giver of forgiveness so that the currency of heaven could wash over the world and do amazing things, that the wellspring of forgiveness would would transform the world around you. That's a powerful thing that comes with being forgiven and having a healthy fear of the Lord. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. I wait. This word waiting for the Lord, my soul waiting, my entire being, and being in hope while I wait. Is the goal of forgiveness. The goal of forgiveness is reconciliation with God. And so, what do we do in this life until we meet God face to face? We hope in the promise of his word that's been washed over us that we have heard in the community, the announcement of the forgiveness of sins, the receiving of the sacraments, faith in Jesus Christ that he has forgiven us and will continue to forgive us our entire life long. From the moment Jesus tackles us, we spend the rest of our life getting used to the fact that our Savior forgives us and will continue to forgive us when we turn to him in faith. The goal of forgiveness ultimately then is to be reconciled to God. It's why God does it. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now, this is a strange sentence because it says that God is actually going to be the cause of and the basis for forgiveness. That forgiveness is not about how much we can turn to God in repentance. That's how we acquire forgiveness. We're not going to acquire forgiveness if we don't seek it. If God gives us forgiveness and we turn our back on him, that's not repentance. That's going our own way. Repentance is turning back to God and receiving it. Um, But the basis for forgiveness is not based on you. It's based on God and what he does. Here it says God is going to be the, the reason why forgiveness is even possible for a sinner like you. This God who is just and powerful and hates sin and hates evil is going to work in such a way that he is able to forgive you rather than give you what you deserve. And so the basis for forgiveness is that God is going to redeem you of your iniquities. Now, in the prophets, the last section of the Old Testament, we have a move which is basically they are the litigators of God's will. And the failure of the people to keep the covenant of God, which is I will be your God and you will be my people, that was established in the first five books of the Bible. The prophets, all of them, are litigating God's case against the sinful people who will not receive his forgiveness. So this is how it breaks down. In the Old Testament, the Pentateuch is when the covenant is made and therefore forgiveness provided. I will be your God and you will be my people. And it shows how God would forgive. The wisdom writings are about how life should be lived. The great thing about the Proverbs is that they're always right most of the time. I'll say that again. The Proverbs are always right most of the time. Which means when you live your life according to the the Proverbs, more likely than not your life will go well. But because of sinfulness in this world... And sinful people, 8 billion God wannabes on the planet, there's going to be times when just following the rules is not going to give you a, a quality life. But wisdom really is about living in the covenant and living in forgiveness that has been received. Living a life that says, I as sinner am forgiven, and now this transforms how I live my life. That's wisdom, and that's what the wisdom writings establish and show when you read them. The history uh, of Israel, and in the Old Testament, the history writings reveal that the covenant is constantly being broken. That's the ongoing problem of God's people, that they cannot keep the covenant on their own because they keep rejecting forgiveness. That's why the covenant cannot be established, that I will be your God and you will be my people. They keep rejecting God's forgiveness. So what do the prophets do? The prophets come and they announce for a covenant renewal. This happens throughout the history of Israel until the covenant just can't hold anymore. And then it's announcement of a new forgiveness or a forgiveness anew. A new covenant, if you will. And that's what you get with Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34 when he says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law. Another word for law is the word, word. I will put my word within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Hmm. Who's called the Redeemer? Who's called the Word? Uh, Who's called the Savior? Who's the one who teaches forgiveness? Do you see where this is all pointing at the end of the Old Testament? That what God is going to establish is a New Testament or a new covenant. And in this covenant, the Old Covenant will be established and fulfilled. For I will be their God and they shall be my people. How will God do this? For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So, in order to establish God's will on earth, forgiveness has to become the normative way in which people are able to access God. And in the New Testament, what we discover is that that is exactly what it is all about. From all the Gospels all the way to Revelation, it's the announcement over and over and over that this new covenant that God has established is forgiveness for a sinner like you. Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper, which is forgiveness of sins that you can grab a hold of. Because where there is faith in Jesus Christ, there you have the one who has done the atonement, paid the price, carried the water, completed the mission, So that your sins no longer belong to you, they belong to him. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he died for you. He died so that your sins would be absorbed by him. That he would carry the mark of your sins and that you would be set free. So, this book of forgiveness, the Bible, is about you. And about how God is claiming you as his own by forgiving you of all of your sins. And so I announce to you this day in your hearing what the gospel, what the Old Testament, what the New Testament, what Jesus proclaims. All of your sins are forgiven in his name. Amen.